0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Saturday Bengals podcast, former Bengals linebacker, Takiyo Spikes. I was frustrated because
0: you can tell certain coaches' hands are tied. It's like, what are we
1: doing? You know, what are we here for? We've got Tim McGee. Since uh, uh, Zach Taylor has come in uh, as the head coach, you really didn't know what to expect from them. Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd joining us. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's fun to me when I when I get to go home and or, or play the Steelers. Bengals running back, Vicky Woods. Yeah, I am surprised, but I'm also happy, uh, happily surprised that they... Uh, they starting to start step up to the
0: plate and spend a little money. I am Matt Minnick, and this is Shock Talk. Red Devon,
1: hot lap. I think anybody who follows Cincinnati football on all three levels, those are guests. Sam Hubbard, the defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals. We had a lot of, you know, kinks and stuff that we worked through the first year, and now we're, we're really able to focus on the details. None other than Ike Taylor.
0: Before, is like uh excellent Ocho, for the most part, I would give the edge because he was more healthier right now than than AJ. Um, if you catch a healthy AJ, you catch in hell.
1: What's up, everybody? It's Anthony Casenza with the Orange and Black Insider, Bengals Podcast, and CincyJungle.com. Hope you all enjoyed Super Bowl 55 yesterday, seeing the Chiefs get manhandled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We will talk about that. Tom Brady just keeps adding to his resume, just keeps adding to his resume. Hope you like that. Other little intro we gave you there, another little new one we put together. We're going to mix those in a little bit, get the new intros for you, but we have a lot to get to on the water cooler chat. Again, why do we call it the water cooler chat? Because if you're back at the office in person, or if you're in virtual meetings with people, we're going to run you through all of the headlines with the Cincinnati Bengals, the AFC North, the NFL, so you can chat amongst your friends, co-workers, colleagues, family, and sound like a, a well-educated football fan, and you can you can take the information we give you if you haven't caught up on your own and use it as your own. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. By the way, if you're wondering, uh, we, have, we have a couple of different intro music artists that we uh, that we use. If you're wondering, we, we play that one on that intro quite often, whether it's on the audio or the video. The group is called Bleed the Sky. They're kind of a harder rock band, a different version of the song. They're uh, art, art is War Records is the label. So if you're kind of into harder rock, go check them out. They are, uh, one of the members is a good friend of mine. So um, go check them out, support them if you like some hard rock, kind of a different little tune, jazzy tune. To get you started here on Monday. But let's get going. Did I say good morning? I guess it's good afternoon for all of you. It's still morning in my neck of the woods. So <laughs> some of you're saying, oh, good, good afternoon, good morning. I guess I said good morning. Um, I don't know if I did. But anyway, anyway, let's get going. We've got a lot to share, a lot to get to with the Cincinnati Bengals, a lot to talk about with the Super Bowl and all kinds of good stuff. Happy to have all of you with us today. So let's Get this going here. Let's start with we're gonna. Unfortunately, we're gonna kind of start and end with some somber news today, uh, but and or irritating news, I guess. In this specific incident, the so I, I've kind of stopped watching. I guess it, it the way the Bengals season has ended, at least for the past couple of years. Um, I've kind of not been. Really into the NFL, on, watching the NFL Honors program, um, especially when I, it doesn't seem as if some Bengals players will be winning some awards. They're not seeming to get the recognition in terms of the Hall of Fame, so it's just kind of like a little bit of a turnoff to me personally. But it is a overall a well-made show and a, a show that you know is a really. Usually a pretty neat little uh, precursor to the Super Bowl here, but they made an egregious error. Did the NFL? Ken Riley, unfortunately, passed away over the course of the the past calendar year here, and they do kind of like at the Academy Awards, the NFL honors does an in memoriam type of uh, segment here that they, you know they they honor all the past players and coaches and people associated with the league who had passed away over the past the course of the last year. And for some reason, they completely omitted Ken Riley in that in memoriam segment, just an egregious error. Not only have they slighted him in terms of his Hall of Fame resume, he should be a Hall of Fame player based on his statistics and other players in the Hall of Fame, longevity, consistency, etc. But you go down here and the team responded on Twitter saying we are extremely disappointed. Ken Riley was not featured in the in memoriam segment during last night's NFL honors. Ken left a great impact on the Bengals in the NFL. His legacy deserves to be honored among the greatest to ever play the game. So good move by the Bengals in terms of speaking up, I suppose, but a lot of people believe it's maybe a little too little too late. And uh, in terms of what I've seen some commentary about, Hey, the Bengals don't even honor their players, their own players the right way. Why should the NFL or why does, why, you know, why should the NFL give them the recognition, at least in the hall of fame perspective. But regardless, the NFL made a major error by not, by not at least acknowledging Ken Riley, his career in this in memoriam segment. I personally did not, like I said, I did not see it. So I, To not live witness this, but uh, I heard about it after the fact and uh, an egregious error. Good for the Bengals to speak up about that. But, you know, I think it's also a lesson, a cautionary tale to the team to say, you know, we need to start giving our great past players some good recognition within our own team within our own four walls of our stadium now they've done a lot of stuff they had the 50th anniversary team they did a lot of things like that but uh you know in terms of a ring of honor some sort of wing of paul brown stadium for fans to go and see kind of their own mini hall of fame i think that that's a step that needs to be taken and it's going you know that unfortunately the the team's going to continue to be slighted and or you know learn these hard lessons i think unfortunately by the nfl if they just are not you know they're not they're not recognizing recognizing their own players. You see some some players that got in the Hall of Fame this weekend and and who made it past the the semifinalist round or into the semifinalist round. Willie Anderson was in was in kind of the the narrowed down search. Another guy who has a Hall of Fame resume should be a Hall of Fame player, and you know unfortunately he got bypassed. You see Drew Pearson a very good player for the Cowboys on some very good teams, but you know, you stack up his resume against an Isaac Curtis a Chad Johnson and AJ green granted Johnson and AJ played in different eras of football than, than did drew Pearson. But you know, some of the stats and accolades are even or far, far surpassing. And yet Chad Johnson retired now almost 10 years ago, and he's not even, not even really getting a sniff uh at the Hall of Fame so I, I don't know yeah anton hall says they need to make it mean something to be a Bengals player shane peebles says the Bengals don't even have a ring of honor these are the things that these are the things that uh you know i think the Bengals need to start working on as we go forward and hopefully these types of oversights will not be continuing and shame on the nfl for for not acknowledging Ken Riley in that, in that in memoriam segment, I'm sure it was an accidental oversight, but still um, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of it being an accident, but still not, not a good look for the NFL there. I, I just talked about him, AJ Green, so we'll we'll talk about this. This was one of the articles on CincyJungle.com. He is projected to be a great fit. This is courtesy of Patrick Judas on CincyJungle.com. He is projected to be a great fit for the Chiefs in upcoming free agency. As you know, the Chiefs just got manhandled by the Buccaneers. And some of the things that came about that, I mean, it – I think the big thing there was, you know, the, the offensive line for Kansas City was a mess. Obviously, there was some other news outside of a lot of players' control based on a poor decision that a coach made um, and, and some stuff there. But, um, you know, you see here uh, ESPN's Bill Barnwell says that Green could be a guy that Kansas City looks to for a rental deal going on here. Um, he had a dismal point seven percent catch rate through the first five weeks of the season pieced together two good games um and so now they think he could be a rental deal kind of guy to help the Kansas City Chiefs next year on on the rare occasion that (laughs) Patrick Mahomes was able to avoid pressure and get a pass off he you know some of the some of the balls seemed to be catchable and you know though they were tipped they were going through Chiefs receivers hands that sort of thing so um you know I think that uh, I think that this would be something that potentially a contender would look at, and that would appeal to AJ Green as well. Going to a contender right away, that you know he can potentially end his career on a championship type of note and go from there. So uh, that's one of the interesting facets. Go check that out on CincyJungle.com or ESPN.com. One of the things that came about, and we're going to talk about this on a segment on Wednesday on our Deep Dive show, one of the things that I think you can take away, aside from pass rush and offensive line, still remains a very important facet to any team winning the Super Bowl. The tight ends seem to be coming into focus. Gronkowski, after being retired, came out of retirement and is a guy that had two touchdowns against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl was a major factor was a was a good player throughout most of this season and kind of looked like the old Gronk last night so you know granted if you see this article here Bengals land Kyle Pitts in a in a, in a nfl.com mock draft we've got another one we're going to touch on later in this episode here but Kyle Pitts I said this on I, I think on our Listener questions live episode last week. You know, you almost he's he's tight end Kyle Pitts, but you almost want to think of him as like a flex position. He can do wide receiver things. You can line him up at different areas of the field, and he's kind of a, a flex player, a hybrid type of player in an offense. And he's obviously a very gifted and and you know a rare talent by most most reviews on his tape and his play. So uh, this was something though that came out recently on uh, via Z- Lance Zierline of NFL.com. Um, and then he wrote, I understand the Bengals need offensive line help, but they also have the 38th overall pick and loads of cap space to address that area Pitts has a chance to be a generational talent and a relentless nightmare for opposing defenses. Now I think that if the Bengals, this pick makes a lot of sense if the Bengals do dive into offensive line in free agency and, and make a play for a, a big player there. Um, you know, and that, that could be something that ends up altering what they do at number five. We know they don't like to have a lot of needs going into the draft. So, you know, they've got a lot of impending free agents at wide receiver. They have a lot of work to do on the offensive line. They have some impending free agents at the cornerback position that they need to figure out they need pass rush help. So, you know, they need to they need to make some make some moves here in free agency to limit the amount of needs and continue on this quote-unquote best player available type of trajectory that they like to be on when it comes to the NFL draft. So, you know, you got you got to you got to pick your poison. They only they do have a, a good amount of cap space they will have even more cap space by releasing, you know, a handful of people and, or shedding some contracts off the books. So, you know, they, they can, they can make some moves here, but they, if, if they were to make a selection of pits, it really should only be if the Bengals do some offensive line things in free agency. I I think most would agree with that, but I think a lot of people would be happy with Kyle Pitts, especially when, when you're kind of seeing how that position can be utilized and some of the big names at that position, how they help their teams. I mean, they've, they've helped their teams go pretty far in the playoffs the last couple of years. Kittle, I mentioned Gronk this year coming out of retirement and, and others. So, you know, there, there, there is use, (laughs) there is usage for this position. And I think Kyle Pitts is a special talent. Just need to, just need to shore up the other areas in free agency. Continuing on, on cincyjungle.com. This guy, we just uh, <laughs> we can't stop talking about this this fella here. A former number one overall pick who was a quarterback, talking about the team's recent number one overall pick at quarterback Carson Palmer. He was quote blown away. This is Nathan Begley on cincyjungle.com. He was quote blown away by how good Joe Burrow looked as a rookie. And by the way, if you remember, I think this was one of our sound bites of the week. A while ago, we had, um, we played it on Twitter. It was a video of Chad who visited Carson, and then they had a video chat with Joe Burrow right after he beat the Jaguars. And there was this kind of cool exchange between all of them. So they've, you know, they've spoken, and, you know, Carson's been pretty vocal, especially last season when the Bengals were projected to take Joe Burrow. He's pretty vo- vocal about, you know, the shortcomings of the franchise and what Joe Burrow potentially could be up against in terms of being the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, but he was, uh, on the Pat McAfee show was Palmer, uh, prominent, prominent radio show, TV show, Pat McAfee show, obviously the former punter of the Indianapolis Colts, big personality, Pat, Uh, Palmer said, quote, I was shocked. I thought he was going to be a good pro and the sky was the limit, but he came in and played as a rookie on a team that was not quite as good as every team they played personnel wise. And he's, and he still with that supporting cast played like one of the top 10 QBs in the league. I was blown away. So I think Carson, maybe, I mean, I don't know if you want to say, you know, he misspoke a little bit in terms of the, uh, the talent disparity thing. I don't know, but the, you know, the, his, his assessment of Burrow and the fact that the Bengals still only won what four games in a tie um, this, this last year. I mean, there still are one of the, they've got the top five pick for a reason. They had a lot of injuries, etc but they have a lot of roster deficiencies. So he's not totally dry, you know, speaking falsehoods <laughs> when talking about the Bengals not being a very good team last year. So, you know, uh, he was impressed with Joe Burrow thought he was a top 10 QB in terms of what he saw on film. I think a lot of people started to believe that before he got hurt too. There were a number of great performances. You know, you look at the Eagles game, you look at the, you know, the Cleveland games and, and whatnot. There were, there were a couple of really, really nice games by Joe Burrow, even though the protection wasn't holding up. So Carson Palmer was impressed. I think a lot of Bengals fans were impressed and hopefully Joe Burrow does, pulls a Carson Palmer and not the trade me thing. I'm talking about his rehab recovery and that he comes back and is ready week one like Carson was after that playoff knee injury that he suffered. And hopefully Joe Burrow does the same thing in his back right away and is effective right away like Carson was for the most part. Let's keep rolling on here. This was from a few days ago. Barely missed the cut of making our last water cooler chat, I think. This is Zach Taylor talking about wanting to keep Carl Lawson and William Jackson, the third. And if you saw pass rush last night, uh, mostly from our good friend Shaq Lawson, who had, I think, double digit quarterback pressures last night against backup tackles. Uh, the, the Chiefs line was a mess, but Zach Taylor would pr- preferably keep both Carl Lawson and William Jackson, the third this off season. That's uh, another article on cincyjungle.com. And and some of the quotes are courtesy of Jay Morrison from the athletic quote. Those are two guys we think highly love and we want them to be Bengals for certain. Taylor said Uh, continued on. Yeah. I think you have to look at the whole scope of things and hopefully we can work it all out. Um, so the Bengals, according to over the cap here, this is a nice tidbit from, uh, Nathan Begley at cincyjungle.com. They have the sixth most, most cap space, sixth most cap space in the league. That's a tough one. Say that three times fast. Um, so they have a lot of space. Now, when you, when you try and sign who will be a coveted pass rusher and who will be a coveted. Defensive back on the open market, both of which are usually in the top 30-ish in terms of most websites, you know, impending free agents. Those those guys are in the top 20 to top 30, usually. Carl Lawson and William Jackson are both in there, depending on which website you go to. But, you know, they're, they're going to cost some money. And I think I, I've said this just personally speaking. I think based on some of the injury stuff with William Jackson and, and a little bit of, you know, kind of a roller coaster with him. But, the, the, you know, the talent's there. And I think if you, if you maybe franchise William Jackson and you're able to lock up Carl Lawson, maybe for a longer term contract, that may be the best route ahead. If you're able to get both on a, you know, on a a long-term deal that makes sense financially for the team, obviously that's definitely ideal, but you know, I I think if uh, you may need to go the franchise route with William Jackson and, you know, potentially a long-term contract with Carl Lawson, if the Bengals are able to retain both of them, that's a big win for them in terms of eliminating needs in the draft. They still will need more pass rushers to be sure. They will need more pass rushers and they will, they may need some more secondary help. Mackenzie Alexander is also an impending free agent at cornerback. So I mean, even if they keep those guys, they're still going to need to do some things. But those are two big priorities, I would think, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Taylor seems to agree when he was talking to the Cincinnati media as well. So, those are uh, a couple of a couple of priorities for the Bengals, and Zach Taylor echoed that. Speaking of Carl Lawson, he sent out a uh, a tweet just to remind everybody last night as to his importance. Uh, I guess subtly talking about his importance to a team last two games show why you need to affect the quarterback to win says Carl Lawson, obviously talking mostly about last night. You saw that Patrick Mahomes was running for his life last night and did not look like the same quarterback that he usually did. uh, usually does, but still made some miraculous throws despite all the pressure. Um, But Carl Lawson, just uh, telling you, Hey, you know, I'm important. My position is important. What I do is important. So, That's, that's something to, to note there. And he's just kind of doing a little friendly tap on the shoulder. Oh, Hey, Hey, just to, just to let you know, in case you didn't, in case you didn't see Michael Flukas says also saw there, Anarumo told Lawson to limit his pass rush moves. Do you think they, are you sure that they want him? You know what? I, I, I saw that. That's from our, I I think where that was sourced was from Ace Boogie, our, our buddy on the podcast channel. He talked about that recently on another show and, you know he he has some you know credible sources i guess that he is noting by relaying that information kind of a damning thing we talked about a little bit on our on our listener questions live last friday as well that, that this this question and yeah i mean Anna rumo seems to be a guy who is very this way or no way and that's kind of that and so when there are some players that are doing things outside of what he, his little world or what he, you know, what he's trying to create. He doesn't like that. That's why Carlos Dunlap was gone. And, you know, apparently this report about Carl Lawson, that's another one that's, you know, a little bit of a head scratcher. So there may be something there that you're right, Michael, there may be something where Carl Lawson says, thanks, but no thanks. And maybe the Bengals, maybe that's when the Bengals say, well, you know, we need pass rush help. And so we're going to franchise you if you're not going to take a long term deal in these discussions and they kind of force them to stay. And then maybe they do the long-term deal with William Jackson, if that, so that's something, something to keep, you know, keep note of as well. But these things, if they are, you know, if they are accurate and I tend to believe them and we're going to talk by the way, just now, it's a good segue to Carlos Dunlap. If these things are accurate, um, you know, which I, which they seem to be, we, you know, there's, there's a lot of, not so great evidence, damning evidence against Lou Anarumo as defensive coordinator of this team. And the Bengals decided to keep him around this this offseason se- off when they could have made a change there, and they did not. So he's got a lot to prove. Obviously, a lot of players on his side of the ball have to stay healthy. But this team needs to rush the passer. They need to be able to rush the passer. So Carl Lawson is a, is a must to, to keep, but they also need to supplement him with, with more help too. And if you saw Shaq Lawson, I mentioned just was a maniac last night and he, on the last water cooler chat, I talked about, there was, you know, he addressed the media kind of saying what happened with the Bengals. And that was just kind of egg on egg on the face for the Bengals there too. So I don't know that that bridge will be mended as Shaq Lawson is looking to, um, Shaq Barrett, excuse me, um, is looking to, uh, you know, potentially enter free agency. I don't know that that bridge has been completely burned or not with the Cincinnati Bengals. If he's, um, if he's coming back. So that's, that's something to, to keep an eye on there too. Here is some more. I I know we don't want to dig up the past, but there's more that has come up from Carlos Dunlap in the the departure here. You see here, Carlos Dunlap reveals his, how his Bengals career ended in CBS Sports interview. This is from John Sheeran. By the way, John, when Carlos Dunlap was traded, go back and, and listen to one of our episodes. John relayed some information from Carlos Dunlap Sr. Um, he had a phone conversation with him and relayed some of the things that Dunlap Jr. had been telling him about his experience in the locker room. But pretty eye-opening. This is more stuff for Dunlap and his relationship or non-relationship with the Bengals, Lou Anna Rumo, Zach Taylor, etc. This is on the Zach Gelb show from CBS sports. He notes that there's still a lot of love and respect still for Cincinnati, but basically, uh, th- there's a lot here. I'm trying to scan to the, scan to the, the me to this. Um, Basically, he he did note I, I listened to the interview. He did note that the nail in the coffin wasn't necessarily him going and, and relaying the depth chart thing. The nail in the coffin in terms of him being traded was more when he came out and said, Hey, I've got this apartment that's <laughs> or this house that's for sale. And that was kind of kind of that. But he went into detail as to, you know, what what happened and how how are the things, how the relationships deteriorated. When it came time to talking about Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo being the right people to build the Bengals back up. He was very non-committal. I quote, I can't answer that question. I don't have that experience. I just know that they're committed to whatever their vision is. And it's clear that I was not one of those pieces. And it seems like AJ and Gino, um, their time is coming too. I guess it's changing of the guard. They want new faces. So again he wasn't uh, very glowing in his praise of the Cincinnati Bengals and their and their staff but you know he he laid some things out again timelined how things played out for his trade to Seattle the Bengals you know they got a low round pick and they got BJ Finney who didn't even play for him this year they got a backup offensive lineman and and who knows if he's going to stick around so you know that's i, I you would and Dunlap ended up having a, a good string of games for the Seahawks there as they made the playoffs, got ousted in the first round. But, you know, uh, it seems like Seattle kind of won out in that deal. But, you know, I guess if, if Dunlap it was not getting along with the coaches and there was a lot of friction there, you got to think addition by subtraction a bit there. Continuing on with this interview from Carlos Dunlap, this is from our good buddy, James Rapine over at all Bengals via sports illustrated. He was glowing in his praise of Joe Burrow as well. Um, again, telling Zach Gelb in this long interview, quote, I believe Joe Burrow is definitely going to be the future of the NFL. He has a lot of potential. He has a lot of heart. He cares. He's very passionate about what he does and about getting better at what he does. It's clear what the Bengals organization saw. And I think the world got to see in him in the games he was able to play in. It just sucks that he got hurt the way he did. And now he's got to tackle the rehab process, but I believe he has more than enough mental toughness to get through that. I can't wait to see him get back. So he was very glowing there. And obviously before he was traded, Dunlap played, uh, you know, a good portion of the season with Joe Burrow as, as the quarterback of the Bengals. So he saw, quite a bit out of the young player. And not only that's got was around him through the off season through quote unquote training camp. If you want to call it that based on everything this year, he, he had a lot of glowing things to say about Joe Burrow and thinks he is one of the future faces of this league. So that is reassuring if the coaching stance by Dunlap and some of the things he re- relayed there are not. Again, I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have all of you with us. We've got a little bit more to get to. Finishing up on some of the Bengals news, we're going to get to some AFC North news and then a little bit more around the NFL, including uh, a new mock draft that came out. I, I pulled it up. I haven't had a chance quite yet to di- digest all of that one, so we'll we'll go through that one quickly. But uh, that's that's something that will be fun to look at here at the end of the show.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: You can get our program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, on the Google podcast google music app you can get it on iHeartRadio, radio megaphone all kinds of different areas really wherever you stream your audio you can get our show you could subscribe to our podcast there's a little icon at the bottom of the youtube channel in case you're catching it on youtube or you're catching it on cincy jungle and you don't subscribe to our youtube channel please do so subscribe to the cincy jungle podcast channel do us a favor too if you can leave us a review hopefully a positive one Helps uh, gain gain our show and our our slate of shows a little bit more exposure. We appreciate all the support and all the feedback that you give us, and um, thanks for joining us on the on the water cooler chat. We love we love having having you talking some Cincinnati Bengals. Even though the season now is officially done, we're going to keep rolling on with content, and we're going to move on to twenty twenty one because free agency is around the corner. The draft is around the corner. We've got a lot to talk to you there. Talk about there, I guess I should say, not talk to talk about. <laughs> it's Monday for me too, guys. Monday for me. Hey, let's go with this one here. This is interesting. I I I always find these look in looks in the rearview mirror in terms of redrafts. I think they're funny, right? I mean, the Bengals land a wide receiver not named T. Higgins in a 2020 redraft. So the redraft here, obviously Ben Baby, Ben Baby of ESPN went right into Joe Burrow. He he had the pick there. Then he goes with LaVisca Chenault instead of T. Higgins as a new pick. And his His rationale here is the Bengals were thrilled when Higgins was available at the top of the second round of 2020, but after his rookie year, there's no way Higgins lasts that long in a redo. However, Chenault isn't a bad option for a team that needs a receiver. His 3.7% catch rate above expectation ranked third among rookie wide receivers. According to NFL next gen stats, he also caught 50% of his targets in tight windows, which led all rookie wideouts. So really, this is just about Higgins being gone off the board. Bengals needing wide receiver help, so they go with LaVisca Chennault. Obviously a different build, a smaller guy than Higgins in terms of height, but LaVisca Chennault was a guy I personally like because I saw a bit of him playing in Colorado, and uh, he's a guy that just does a lot of different things. He's a, he's a big play looking for a place to happen. Unfortunately, Jacksonville with their quarterback issues and all kinds of stuff this year, they were a very disappointing team, and so he didn't get to showcase himself as much as I think a lot of people would like, but with a, a quarterback change, a coaching change, Urban Meyer now in charge down there, I think that uh, I think you'll see a, a pretty good improvement by LaVisca Chenault going forward there. Um, uh, I'm so, sorry. I'm looking at a question here from Antoine Elliott saying, uh, I'm, I made it. Uh, where'd, where'd you get your running tiger hat? I don't know which running tiger hat. Is it, is it this one? Is that the one you're talking about, uh, Antoine? If so, found that online. I think that was a Fanatics or Bengals Pro Shop purchase, so check that out. Anyway, um, I saw that question. I wanted to – I was. it drew me in. That question drew me in and distracted me a little bit, but in a good way. Let's move on to the AFC North, shall we? Let's talk a little AFC North. There's some news there, even though they did not play. No AFC North teams played in the Super Bowl. Uh here is so a lot of people thought here's Alan Fanica, very very good offensive lineman uh for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He made the pretty cool edit by the way. Nice nice artwork done there. Um they did a little tribute to Fanica there did the Pittsburgh Steelers on their tw- Twitter account talking about how he's a pro football hall of famer, a great guard for a long time. But again, he's one of those, one of those things where if Alan Fanica makes the hall of fame, you would think Willie Anderson, despite not making as many pro bowls because he was on really poor teams, a guy that whose resume, if you look at the stats, a guy that should be con- heavily considered as a, as a hall of fame, offensive lineman. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, yeah, you know, Fannica's a deserving player. He's, he was a good player for a long time, but just a, a, a sad reminder that a lot of Bengals players are out there that are deserving. I mean, you could even put Corey Dillon in that conversation, Chad Johnson in that conversation. Who knows what the conversation is going to be when AJ Green retires? What's it going to be when Geno Atkins retires? I mean, essentially, Geno Atkins was a guy that you look at was one of the top two, three interior defensive linemen of his era. I mean, it's basically Aaron Donald, and then you can you, you got Geno Atkins, Fletcher Cox, and Dominican Sue you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of good players. Geno Atkins was tops at his position for a really long time. And are, are we going to have to, you know, as Bengals fans and as the organization going to have to push that boulder uphill to try and get Geno Atkins into the Hall of Fame? I hope not. So there are a lot of names that are deserving and, you know, the Bengals need to need to start winning some games, but they also need to Again, as I said at the top of the show, start honoring their players the right way, giving them some more recognition, and maybe that'll help push some things going forward. But I think we all know at this point, the Hall of, Fo- if the Hall of Fame voting process and other other facets seem to still be how many championships did you win and popularity contest in terms of which teams you played for. That seems to be, and it's the Pro Bowl voting as well. So unfortunate reality that we are dealing with here. The Steelers also made some moves with their coaching staff, adding three assistants to their coaching staff. Uh, Mike Sullivan is there. This is on Steelers.com. Mike Sullivan as their quarterbacks coach, Chris Morgan, assistant offensive line coach, and Matt Tomshow as quality control coach. The big one there that sticks out to me is Morgan is the assistant offensive line coach. The Steelers offensive line has long, always, always been a, just a hallmark of, what they do. That's why they they run the ball. Well, that's why they've, you know, big Ben's had, you know, I mean, he's a great talent himself, but he has played behind some great offensive linemen in his time. This was an uncharacter, even though the Steelers went, you know, went far and had it had at one point they were undefeated throughout most of the season. The offensive line was surprisingly uncharacteristically weak. And, you know, they're getting older at some spots, but I think, you know, there was, there was just a lot of issues going on there. And so they need to retool that they got rid of Fickner, their offensive coordinator. And so they're really doing an overhaul on the coaching staff on that side of the ball. Mike Sullivan is the quarterbacks coach, Chris Morgan as the assistant offensive line coach. And then Matt Tomshow show is a quality control coach. They added three to their staff. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens, they signed a familiar face and a guy that just never really was able to latch on to the Bengals roster long term. They've re-signed cornerback Devontae Harris. Um, He's a guy who was, you know, bounced on and off the... Bengals roster, and now he is with the Ravens again. They re-signed him, so he'll be grinding for a roster spot. Pretty good secondary dude do, does the Baltimore Ravens have at this point? You know Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith. You know a lot of good players back there. Marsh, um, not Marshawn Lattimore, excuse me. Um, name's escaping me at the moment. But Devonte Harris adding to that stable, and um, they're gonna they're, he's gonna grind for a roster spot there next year. Going forward. New odds are out if you are a better in terms of odds to make it to Super Bowl 56. This is courtesy of Spotrack's uh, Twitter account. You can see there in the AFC, Chiefs, Bills, Ravens, Browns, and then the Dolphins and Titans are the tops in the AFC. And you look, NFC, Bucks. Packers, Rams, 49ers, despite having an off year, a lot of injuries on that team's roster this past season. And then the Saints, the Saints one may move depending on the Drew Brees situation. We'll see there, but, you know, that's some predictable names up top there. The Rams also now that they have a trade in place with Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. Um, You know, Matthew Stafford's now going to go to LA. Goff's going to go to Detroit. Once the new league year officially starts, that trade will take place. So that's they're, they're right up top, and they made it to the divisional round as well, did the Rams this last year. So, yeah, that's kind of the, in terms of odds for betting, those are the, the favorites for each conference after Super Bowl 55 is in the books. Speaking of the Browns, they did some coaching moves of their own. The, and this is on cleveland.com Ben Bloom. This is an interesting move here. Senior defensive assistant to the run game coordinator, by the way, the run game coordinator, the passing game coordinator is now an in vogue type of position to be filled on coaching staffs across the league. It would seem the Bengals, as you know, hired back Frank Pollock and gave him the run game coordinator designation When Zach Taylor was in L.A. with Sean McVay, they had a passing game coordinator who at the time was Shane Waldron, who also interviewed for the Bengals open head coaching position. And they also had a run game coordinator of which they still have both of those coaches to man those two roles as well. So now the Browns have this uh, just kind of kind of odd that it was a defensive guy going to the run game coordination side. You know, we've seen offensive guys kind of man that, but we'll see uh browns defensive coordinator um oh this is for the defensive side okay there we go that makes a little more sense that makes a little more sense here i think browns defensive coordinator joe Woods said via the team he felt bloom was in his new role already last season ben put together all of our run game game plans so this is from joe woods the defensive coordinator that makes more sense Uh, he's very detailed, very thorough and knows exactly what you need to do to stop an opponent. I'm very happy for him and glad we have a chance to keep him for another year. So he's helping out on the defensive side. It would seem in terms of the run game coordinator, not the offensive side. See, that's why you got to read those details. Anthony Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Abrar Ahmad. I appreciate it. That was the name that was escaping me. Appreciate that. Uh, let's keep going here and transition to some goat talk and what we saw yesterday in the Super Bowl. NFL research on Twitter, most Super Bowl wins in NFL history. Tom Brady has seven, and teams have less than he does. Uh, you look at the Steelers and the Patriots, uh, obviously, you know, Brady, an architect of, of those in New England, but Cowboys, 49ers, um, you know, some of the most successful franchises in the NFL do not even have as many Super Bowl wins as one singular quarterback in Tom Brady. And that is courtesy of NFL Research's Twitter account. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I got I got to say this. You know, I said this to Ken to Ken Anderson when we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. Look, I mean, I obviously I, I had the discussion. You know, Tom Brady's in that discussion for greatest of all time, and maybe this weekend would change my mind, and you know, all this, all that kind of talk. I still was a big Joe Montana. I just saw the things Joe Montana did not only to the Cincinnati Bengals in two Super Bowls, but just what he was doing in a different era of, of quarterbacking, and I, I just kind of maintained that that was just my guy. Um, you know this what Brady did this season away from Belichick, having the three road wins all the way up to the Super Bowl, and then winning at home against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. It was just you know a very special season. So you know it's very easy. <laughs> I guess a lot of people already had Tom Brady as the goat, but uh, you know I, I, it's very very hard to debate otherwise. I know Ken Anderson did put out an interesting name from way, the Wayback Machine and Otto Graham a, uh, a name in Brown's lore, but you know, I, I think, I think we're witnessing something pretty incredible in terms of Tom Brady's career. And he did last night, if you heard him too, he was saying, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not retiring. That was the one thing I wondered if he was going to win one away from Belichick with a different team, if he was to win it, would he say that's enough for me? I'm good. And he says, no, he's going to keep going. He's going to keep going. So that's, that's, I guess, where we can go next because Bruce Arians, and this is courtesy of NFL.com, Bruce Arians, Super Bowl winning coach Bruce Arians, who assembled this kind of veteran all-star team with Tom Brady, with Bruce, uh, with Rob Gronkowski, and with Antonio Brown, among others. He says, quote, he's very confident that the Bucks can bring back most of the title team in 2021. Kevin Patra is the writer of this on NFL.com. And this was in the aftermath of the win. Um, he says he believes they will figure out how to keep their core together. I'm very, very confident, Arian said Monday, in a Monday morning virtual press conference. I have all the trust in the world that GM Jason Lick and, and what we what he could do. These guys, they have a bond. There will be dollars involved. But I think that this group is so, so close that sometimes dollars don't matter. We're going to do everything we can to get the dollars right because they earned it. This the, the things that's that sticks out to me. Do you remember I, I don't know if you remember this. The the box kind of had a, a pretty good start and then November there was all this talk I think Brady mentioned it in his little post-game speech yesterday there's all this talk about oh they you know they're not gonna they're not gonna go far they're not gonna do very well because they were struggling there was one bad loss on primetime and all this stuff and then there was talk that Brady and and Arians weren't getting along and, the, and you know all of the chatter and yet they they pulled it together all of these big personalities and all of these star players and these you know these Exuberant coaches, you know, Arians is kind of an interesting personality as well. They pulled it together, and they ended up, you know, being the super team that a lot of people thought they were going to be, and, and winning the winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, they've they've got Leonard Fournette. I guess they're, that that's a guy they need to make a decision on. Um, you know, they, there's the I think Chris Godwin is he going to be a free agent. I need to look about that. You know, they're talking here on the, you know, keep the trio of Evans Godwin Brown together. I know Antonio Brown's another interesting player to have on a roster and, you know, you always got to monitor what's going on there based on some of the off field stuff with him. But uh, you know, the the Arians thinks they're going to keep the team together for the most part and they'll make another run at it next year. Brady sounds like he's going to be back. So um, that's, that's where they're at in Tampa Bay. Quickly, I thought this, this just real quick, we can't talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk more about it, but we can't talk about the Super Bowl without talking about the halftime show. Um, I'm not a gigantic fan of the weekend. I knew some of his songs, etc. but I thought it was pretty creative in terms of what, uh, what the show was very, very different. I thought the fun house thing that he was running through in terms of the, what they built, I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And he's talking about still buzzing from last night. I couldn't stop smiling the whole performance. Thank you, Pepsi, NFL, Rock Nation, for believing in me to bring a fresh new take on the halftime show. Apparently, I had read somewhere that he spent about seven million dollars of his own money to help put this uh, put this stage and the the performance together. So it was pretty entertaining. Um, I, I don't know that I would stretch and say it was the best thing I've ever seen, but uh, in terms of performances, but I thought it was pretty entertaining and he put on a good show and it was very unique. Like the, the people in kind of those little, I don't know what you would call it. It almost look like a, a political booth type of thing. I don't know. It was weird. People had like the bandages over their face. It was pretty unique, pretty unique. So he's still, he's still smiling is the weekend in terms of his performance yesterday. Pretty entertaining. Moving on and echoing what a lot of people are saying about offensive line help. This is an article on NFL.com. Jeffrey Chedia, Patrick Holmes is human after all. As Chiefs fall to Buccaneers in Super Bowl Fifty Five, um, really, it was not. This was not. I don't think Patrick Mahomes fault. I mean, you saw him scrambling around trying to make things happen. And you know, in the instances that he was making some actually quite miraculous throws, I mean, he's falling down and throwing them up to his receivers. You know, sometimes they were bouncing off their hands, bouncing off their face. Man, they just, you know, other times it just was just out of reach, but he was running for his life. The protection up front, which was the big worry for a lot of people that were, rooting for the Chiefs. The protection up front was awful, you know, Eric Fisher tore his Achilles. That was a huge loss. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz couldn't play on the other side, who's one of quietly one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, so they were a mess at tackle. They had all kinds of issues on the interior and Shaq Barrett just had a field day as we mentioned. Um, Devin White was absolutely everywhere yesterday I know he's not the greatest in pass coverage and that's one where you say well is he is he the best linebacker in the NFL a lot of people would say no because he's not great in pass coverage but he had an interception yesterday he actually gets after the passer in terms of blitzing he he had quite a few sacks this year he's just he's a very good player very active player and that's what his tape showed as a a college player so he's a very good player and you know they just they just harassed Mahomes all night, and um, you know he said it, and he says it here: "quote This is the worst I've been beaten in a long time." And I think he <laughs> he probably wouldn't say it this way, but I think he meant it in a n- number of senses of the word. Uh, not only beaten on the scoreboard, but beaten physically. He took a lot of hits, took a lot of hits, a lot of pressure, was scrambling around, and and unfortunately, it was just kind of an ugly ugly performance by the Chiefs in their offense. So, yeah, Tyler Thies here says, that game last night proved that O-line makes great QBs elite. I don't know. I mean, I think you could still be uh, an elite quarterback behind a not great offensive line and or mask some of those deficiencies. But I think it definitely accentuated the importance of having competent offensive line play and having depth, having guys that can come in and play at least relatively well If your if your starting stars on the offensive line go well. I think that's what really should be taken away as well. Aside from yeah, you gotta have the great starters or you gotta have quality starters along every part of the offensive line. You gotta have depth. You gotta have guys that you can rely on and spot starts that you can say, you know what, we can get through we can get through this week and, and win this week with this guy playing right tackle or, you know, what have you. And I think the Cincinnati Bengals, I hope they were taking ample notes. Last night, I hope they were taking ample notes if they already didn't learn their lesson from the Joe Burrow injury. Yeah, Antoine Elliott says he was pressured the most in Super Bowl history. Yeah, uh, the other thing that a lot of people are kind of getting a little, I guess, the old school football fans are getting a little up in arms about is in this, uh, the Antoine Winfield he he got a taunting penalty on a fourth down. Uh, if you remember, it was kinda, he was kind of he was kind of giving him a peace sign or two fingers, or whatever. Um, after he knocked away a, a you know kind of a prayer throw by Mahomes on a fourth down, he knocked away from from Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill was a you know a, a minimal factor for the Chiefs, as were a lot of their weapons really, because they just couldn't get anything going on offense. Um, you know, it, it, Antoine Winfield, a rookie, said something I just had to do. Now, for a little bit of background on it. They played, these two teams played earlier in the year. Tyreek Hill scored on a play and with Antoine Winfield in coverage. And he gave Winfield that same peace sign like, see you later. I'm in the end zone. Bye. And so Winfield really, really remembered that and wanted, you know, (laughs) he wanted to give it back to him the taunting. It was something I just had to do, said Winfield. When we played them earlier, Hill went off on us. He back flipped in front of my face and gave me the peace sign. So it was only right that I gave him the peace sign right back to him at this moment. It felt amazing to be able to do that. I'm not even going to lie. So, you know, some people may say, ah, rookie, a little childish, whatever, a little immature, but Tyree kill the veteran did it to him earlier as a little taunting thing earlier in the season. And now Winfield, the rookie who got the better of the situation in the more important game, gave it back to him. And, you know, some people are criticizing Winfield a little bit in that moments. Others are not um, to each their own, I guess. I don't really have a dog in the fight, but it was a moment where you go, Oh boy, that was, <laughs> that was right in your face. That was right in your face here. Let's end on this. well, Sort of end on this one in terms of uh, some news here. This is a three-round mock draft by Chad Ryder of NFL.com. I'm going to pull this up. If you have not seen it, I'm sure we will be relaying this on Cincy Jungle as well. Uh, so if you look here, we're gonna we're gonna just cruise through this here in the first round. Um, Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars at number one overall. He has the Panthers trading up to pick two to get Zach Wilson. So Ryder does include trades here. He has Panay Sewell going to the Dolphins at number three. He has Justin Fields. So three quarterbacks going in the top five picks in Chad Ryder's uh, mock draft. And then you've got Kyle Pitts going here. Um, So this is the second NFL.com mock draft. Where the Bang, you know, an NFL.com writer has the the Cincinnati Bengals going with Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida. He says Pitts is the top pass catcher in the draft. With Pinay Sewell off the board, Cincinnati will wait until rounds two and or three to get Joe Burrow some help on the offensive line. I think that's a teaser as to where we're going next. The Bengals go with the Florida product. It would be the third time in the past twelve drafts that they selected a tight end in the first round. Gresham and Eifert. Uh, included. So we're going to scan down here and we're going to, I'm going to, going to pull up the second round picks here. Uh, Some other interesting picks here. Now that he's got the draft set, Uh, he has the chiefs at 31 taking Carlos Basham an edge rusher. Uh, You know, he really did some good things at the senior bowl and then Joe Tyron an edge rusher for Tampa Bay Um, at the end at 32 here. Let's see if we can get two rounds two and three. Okay. Pull this up. Just didn't want to scroll and make everybody dizzy while I'm doing that. I hope you appreciate that. I was I was trying to be kind to you guys. I was trying to be kind to you. Okay. Here we go here. Top of round two. Jacksonville takes Eric Stokes, a cornerback out of Georgia. Jets take Joseph Osai. And the Bengals take Jason Oa, an edge rusher. So, um, out of Penn State, a redshirt so- sophomore, so not an offensive lineman with their uh, pick number 38 in the second round. So they've got Kyle Pitts in the first round, Jason Oway an edge rusher at number 38. Let's go to round three. Ellerson Smith to the Jags at the top. New uh, Dylan Moses, a linebacker, intriguing player to the Jets. And uh Bengals take Wyatt Davis. Offensive lineman, Wyatt Davis, is what they have uh, with their third-round pick. So that's a guy that a lot of people have been talking about for the Cincinnati Bengals as well. So that's the three-round draft. You got, uh, you know, the Bengals did not take a tackle, which is interesting. He has Kyle Pitts, he has edge rusher, and he has offensive guard as the three picks for the Cincinnati Bengals in his three-round mock. So that is Chad Ryder's three-round mock of – The Bengals there, Uh, I, you know, obviously a lot to play out over the next couple of weeks and months. I see our friend DJ here in the live YouTube chat saying Jason Owe is a genetic freak. Yeah, he is. Um, You know, it's it's one of those, it's kind of one of those classic, I think, one of those classic round two picks, you know, uh, first round traits, first round physique, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you know, where's the, you know, does the production match that, all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's where that makes sense. And the Bengals, like I said earlier in this episode, the Bengals need uh, edge rush help. Whether or not they keep Carl Lawson, they're going to need edge rush help. So they that's, that's something that needs to be addressed. And, you know, if the Bengals do some things, again, on the offensive line in free agency, and then you see those picks – you got, you know, Wyatt Davis, an interior offensive lineman. The other thing the Bengals need to address with their interior offensive lineman, you know, they've got they've got Trey Hopkins nursing a knee injury. And very last game of the year, he gets a knee injury. So we're not sure that he's going to be back week one. So the Bengals need to figure out something, whether they they have immense trust in Billy Price to hold down the fort or what have you. They're going to need to figure out something uh, at center, probably temporarily as Trey Hopkins is on the mend. Let's go here. I hate to end on a somber note, but the NFL and sports writer, sportscaster community lost a couple of good people. Very, very young this past weekend. Chris Wessling, who actually was at one time a Bengals fan. He kind of gave up his Bengals fandom a little bit based on the last decade, but, um, you know, he dies at 46, unfortunately, because of cancer. A lot of people knew him from the, around the NFL podcast. Um, he had cancer, he had beat it once and then it came back and unfortunately, um, really accelerated recently And his wife, uh, who he recently married and they had, they have a very young son, Lincoln. Um, unfortunately they, they lost, uh, Chris Wessling, there, their the father of their family, husband and father of their family. And. Uh, Way too young at 46. So uh, rest in peace, Chris Wessling. A name and voice and writer that a lot of Bengals fans and a lot of NFL fans are very familiar with. And everybody had glowing things to say about who Chris was, who knew him. I unfortunately did not know him, only knew him through his work. But um, that's unfortunate news that came about right before the Super Bowl. And of course... Another, unfortunately, another loss in the sports writing community, sports casting community. Pedro Gomez, prominent sports caster, especially on the baseball side of things, ESPN reporter. He dies at 58 suddenly. Um, not many details. Not that we need to go into personal details anyway. But not many details about um, the circumstances of his his passing. And his he has a son, I guess Rio, in the Red Sox organization. So. He has close ties to baseball, did a lot of reporting on baseball. Very, very sad story there. And again, hit this weekend two pretty iconic people in the sports writing, sports casting world that unfortunately passed away at, at very young ages. So rest in peace and our condolences to those to their families as they grieve the losses of, of both Chris Westlund and Pedro Gomez. That's going to do it for us on the water cooler chat. Probably our longest one to date, but we had a lot to get to. I appreciate all of you tuning in and joining us. I appreciate all of your support for our show, the orange and black insider and the other shows on the Cincy jungle podcast channel, whether it's ACE and Zim's orange is the new black or Matt Minnick's chalk talk. We're trying to get you a lot of different material, even through the off season. We're going to be doing some free agency profiles. We're going to be doing some free, um, draft profiles we're going to be doing interviews all kinds of different stuff as again free agency and the draft are around the corner we're going to get you up to date on our podcasts and we're going to get you up to date as things happen on cincyjungle.com so keep it to cincyjungle.com for all your news opinions analysis and hey we'll see you this wednesday john sharon and myself will be taking the air doing a lot of different analysis on the Cincinnati Bengals, maybe what we saw this week, we've got a lot of different things to get to. So check us out, check out the rest of the shows on the podcast channel. We will be seeing you soon. Thanks.